0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. I'm so excited to have you joining us this week because I'm really, really excited about this topic and our guest. Hold on your seats. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to hear hopefully some new things. And as always, my hope is as we learn and grow, we're going to stretch ourselves and be able to take better care of our patients. So without further ado... Um, I want to say that I think we've all probably heard sayings about the power of the tongue when it comes to how we communicate. But today, we're talking about the role and power of the tongue toward physical health. And you may be surprised to learn that it really is the body's rudder to health and quality of life. And today, I want to introduce you to Dr. Samira Jafari, um, we are so thankful for your you taking time to be with us today and to share your wealth of knowledge. So, as I introduce you, would you mind to share a little bit about yourself and your um, experience and history thus
1: far? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sharisa. Um, I'm excited to be here, and I hope that I can talk about a topic that's not usually spoken of. Uh, so, hopefully, I'll be able to have some of your listeners be more interested in tongue ties and arrows because we always need more hygienists on board yeah. and like um hygienists as a whole i'll go ahead and put that out there <laughs> i feel like hygienists as a whole are a lot more aware of the whole body and uh and how our mouth relates to our overall health and than most us dentists are. <laughs> so I feel like you guys are driving forces for, uh, for, for patient health and patient care. So I'm really excited to be here. I graduate a little bit about my background. I graduated in 2013 from Medical College of Georgia, which is now Augusta University. I'm a general dentist. I've been practicing dentistry since then. Uh, I was lucky enough that early on, very early on in my practice, so it was either like late 2013 or early 2014, um, that I had the opportunity to attend a lecture by uh, Dr. Ben Moralia. And I don't know if you've heard Dr. Ben Moralia speak, but he's a very charismatic speaker. He was speaking on early childhood development um growth and development of the upper jaws. And it really, I mean, he he is a great speaker, but the topic itself just really spoke to me. And it was very intriguing for me. And it really piqued my passion for something that I had no idea about and I hadn't even heard about in dental school. So, and I didn't like have kids at the time. So it wasn't something that like I connected with, but I felt like there was such a need because after I took his course and his course was in Orlando, and I remember being in the airport and all the kids that come to Disney to, is it was it Disney World, Disneyland? Yes, yes. Um, I don't know which one is where, <laughs> but all, there's so many kids and everywhere I looked, I could see signs without even looking in the mouth of these kids, I could see there was so much need for this type of treatment. So I became really passionate. And ever since then, so like the past nine years, I've tried to like take as many courses as I can. And I'm sure um, some of your listeners are already in the airway community. And I know you are. There is a pretty big rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) and I've I've definitely dug deep I'm just trying to learn as much as I can there's so much to it and I even after nine years I feel like I'm still kind of like you know scratching the surface scratching the surface getting deeper and deeper learning more and more and there's so much more to learn
0: this kind of set you on fire and you saw something you'd never seen before. And you said, oh, my gosh, this makes sense to me. I got to do something about this. Did you immediately start incorporating that into your practice or did you take a little while and and feel like you got really educated? And what did that look like in the progression of the practice?
1: So I definitely started immediately educating parents and talking about the importance of early development and the signs to look for and um, how uh, so many kids are labeled like ADD, ADHD, or some other issues where it could just be related to the way they're sleeping. Um, so I definitely started incorporating it right after coming out of that course, okay. um, and I started using um, appliances. Uh, I started using uh, Maya Brace. I don't know if you're familiar with with that just like a growth appliance that helps correct some minor things but helps with also establishing nasal breathing and um helps with alongside with my functional therapy to help like um, a better uh, rest position for the mouth mm-hmm. then as i got you know more and more i saw there were different limitations to my myobrace i've added <laughs> as i've gone to my my knowledge base uh Tongue ties themselves came in a little bit later, so in 2019. So before that, I would see tongue ties and, you know, to an extent, talk about tongue ties, but not, hadn't really like delved in um, or looked at it until 2019. And it was actually um, a hygienist who's a myofunctional therapist, Beth Sohail, who um, we were kind of like working. I was referring to her for my functional therapy and she encouraged me to take a course from um, the Breathe Institute, Dr. Saru Doggi, who is an ENT out in California, uh, who's pretty much dedicated his practice to advancing the field in airway treatment and also um, recognizing and research on tongue ties for kids and adults, because most of our research and literature is, more surrounded towards infants and we don't and it's like okay if you pass infancy then you're fine <laughs> uh, and you're finding out that that's not true so that course really opened my eyes and that's when I really started treating recognizing more of ties was able to to uh to diagnose you better uh because before that you know in school we didn't really learn much about tongue ties right treatment, right? I remember maybe there was, I don't remember learning anything about airway at all and the management of like, or how to identify airway issues. I do remember maybe like one phrenectomy lecture in an oral surgery class, but the main thing I learned about the tongue in school was how to safely keep it out of the way. (laughs) Had to do the procedure, so there wasn't really um, much education there. So it was in 2019 where um, I learned more about that, and that just like opened up another huge can of worms with uh, um, with how you can help, how I could help patients. Um, and then my daughter was born with the tongue tie. Um, wow. Then I was like, okay, well, I'm already doing it for kids and adults. So now I have to treat infants too. So I have not had the training for that. Um, So it's definitely been a snow effect of different courses and different uh, amazing leaders in the field. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So tell me what a day in your practice looks like as far as procedures and treatments that you offer.
1: Yeah, so um, great question. So we are a full service dental practice I started Integrative Family Dentistry just to be able to have a, a different approach to dentistry than I was, that I was taught in school. Um, I didn't want to just look at teeth and I didn't want to just drill and fill. I wanted to look at the whole body and how the mouth is connected to the whole body. That A big part of that is obviously um, the airway and making sure that patients are have what they need up here to have better health down down here. We have hygiene. Um, I have an amazing hygienist, which I know you know, Lacey Cooper. We are so in sync with looking at the whole mouth and paying attention to the microbiome and, and, and respecting the oral microbiome, the, all of the treatments that come with that. But also asking those different questions like, Do you snore or, you know, um, uh, how are you sleeping or, um, you know, are you mild breathing? Some of the things that patients haven't heard before, even though we still do general dentistry, uh, we are asking questions. We are, we see a lot of, um, we get a lot of referrals from other providers, hygienists, other therapists, speech therapists patient consultants, uh, occupational therapists, physical therapists. It's amazing how the whole body is connected. And, you know, we get patients coming in looking for structural evaluations to see if the child is growing and developing normally, or if there's tongue ties. We do a lot of interceptive orthodontics uh, for kids to help with growth and development of the jaws. We, uh, We do palatal expansion in adults to create more room for the tongue and uh, help improve the airway. We do tongue tie releases in infants, kids, adults, everybody that's interested. We also um, try to gather information and see if we can somehow contribute to advancement of the field. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. And honestly, I'm excited to have you join us today because much like you, when you Middle school, you didn't learn much about this. When I was in high school, you know, it was kind of the same story. Um, you know, we knew how to identify, you know, a pretty severe tongue tie. We knew what that was like, but there was not a lot of talk about airway and expansion and, and tongue thrust and improper swallows. Um, you know, we didn't fully understand the long-term implications of these conditions or what could be done to address it honestly and why it even really mattered. Um, and like as hygienists we are looking at all the components of the patient's mouth head and neck at each appointment and the goal being to help every patient achieve health and overall wellness these are really important conditions that we need to be screening for and discussing so you know we're here to learn and glean from you all that you have to share and excited to hopefully expand our horizons so i do want to start with specifically tongue ties Like I said, I think we can all really easily recognize an advanced tongue tie where, you know, the patient can't even really lift their tongue and you see that, you know, the tip is really tied down to the bottom. Um, You know, the lingual frame is just so short and attached, the patient has really limited movement, and obviously that can impact their speech and function. But I know that research is showing that even mild to moderate tongue ties can have serious implications. So tell me what we should know and be looking for when it comes to tongue ties. You know, what will we observe visually, both intraorally and outside the mouth? And how can we take measurements or assessments to really identify these issues?
1: You're absolutely right. A, m- a more severe tongue tie is a lot more easily diagnosed. But I will tell you, <laughs> I am I still see patients. My patients that I saw that have been patients of mine forever. And they would come in after I had my course with Dr. Zagi. And I'm like, Has this tongue tie always been like, how have I not seen this? <laughs> like, because like when you're taking the course, you're like, No, I can't think of anyone. Like, I don't think I would have missed it. But then it's things that you're missing all day because you're not looking. It's not in our radar, right? But you're absolutely right. If you are looking, if a patient has a very severe tongue tie where it's like connected to the tip of the tongue and they can elevate, those are a lot easier seen. But I also see a lot of patients in their 30s, 40s, 50s with these severe tongue ties and they can swear they've never... You know, had any issues with with their tongue that no one has ever mentioned that they have a tongue tie and they're like literally connected with to the tongue. So it always blows my mind, but I totally know why because I was the same. <laughs> so right. I think the first thing is just looking, because a lot of times if you're looking, you'll be able to see a lot more than um than than you think. But some tongue ties look like they're not. Um, it looks like the tongue is moving. It looks like the tongue has more range of motion, but it may not be true range of motion. It may there may be a lot of compensations. Obviously, the function of the tongue is super important in our body. It's, it's important breathing and swallowing and like eating with speech. There's so many things that a tongue does on a daily basis, and the function is so important that when the, there is restriction, the body being super smart and trying to figure things out, we start compensating in different ways to be able to to function better. But over the years, those compensations are what uh, kind of build up and start causing other issues. (laughs) We can always look for a a forward neck posture. So if a patient is using um, a lot of these muscles, to function over the years, you can have a more forward neck posture (laughs) to be able, or it's also a compensation for opening the airway. So if the airway is small and you bring your neck forward, you can breathe better. So obviously oxygen being super important, (laughs) the most important nutrient where we um, can only live three minutes without oxygen. Our body is very in tuned to that carbon dioxide oxygen exchange and so we will do anything to compensate to be able to breathe forward neck posture is one of those um which also a lot of neck um, working these muscles a lot so if, if you're using the floor of your mouth to help elevate your tongue you will get tension in the area You get tension in the TMJ muscles um, and over time, those can become chronically fatigued, the muscles of the face. So a lot of um, uh, headaches. I see a lot of improvements with headaches in adults. A lot of chronic neck and shoulder tension in the back from that (laughs) forward neck posture. So um, that would be what you would look at on the outside. There's also with sunken in cheeks. So like if you see a patient that has really pursed lips with a lot of lines, a lot of lines around, that's because they're swallowing like that. They're tightening that orbicularis oris muscle that goes around the lip. They usually ha- also have a lot of crowding because they're putting pressure on those, on those teeth. Um, but that's because the tongue is not doing its job on the inside. They're using their cheek on the outside to be able to swallow. Those are some of the things on the outside that we can look at. On the inside of the mouth, um, we can, the crowding, small upper jaw that's deep and uh, V-shaped or narrow, tori, uh, big tori on the inside, exostosis on the outside that could be uh, related to the way they're uh, the way the teeth are positioned, or if they're clenching because they're trying to open their airway, or if they're putting horizontal forces on the teeth because they've swallowed like this and the teeth have tilted in, so now in their excursive movements they are putting more forces on uh, horizontal forces on those teeth. Um, you'll see those things inside the mouth. Also, just patients that have you know mouth breathing wreaks havoc on <laughs> oral. <laughs> Oral health as a whole, it creates much better environment for the bacteria to to thrive or bad bacteria to thrive. Anything with cavities, gum disease, all of those inflammation in the gums can be signs of signs of an airway issue, and part of that is obviously a tongue tie.
0: Yeah. Um, I would add in scallic borders of tongue. Oh,
1: yes. That. yes.
0: Sometimes the tonsils look really impact, Oh, yes. You know, from mm-hmm. that mouth breathing aspect. So Absolutely. lots of things that we can look, look at and, you know, ask patients about. So I want to shift a little bit to, especially for adults, um, what questions can we ask our patients to help them kind of gain an awareness of how the tongue tie can p- be impacting them? Because like you said, most of the patients, they are in their brains, they're thriving. This is how they've always lived. There's not, you know, a big major speech impediment, you know, as far as they know, they're eating, they're swallowing fine. Um, They they feel like they're breathing fine. So, um, you know, they don't understand, like I said, the implications of the condition or how they could benefit from a release. What are some questions we could ask to kind of help them start, you know, thinking through that themselves?
1: Yeah. So, Uh, That's a great question because some patients, as you know, as with anything new that we bring up because dentistry has been done the same way for so long. So when we bring something new, sometimes it's a difficult conversation. And frankly, some patients aren't ready to hear that. We usually start with asking about sleep, which I think is one of the biggest things that we're trying to help patients with because it is so important and it can have such an inflammatory um, response to the body if we are not sleeping properly. So we always start with asking about sleep. We ask if they're snoring, if they're breathing, uh, mouth breathing if um, they uh, are sleeping through the night, or if they're waking multiple times to use the bathroom, we are asking if they can go to bed easily and wake up refreshed or Do they sleep seven hours, eight hours and wake up super groggy and not ready for the day? And some patients open up and they're like, oh yeah, I do that. Or yeah, tell me more about that. But some patients are like, no, I sleep just fine. I don't snore, I don't mouth breathe. (laughs) And they have like all these issues, but they're not ready to hear it. So it's our job to just open the conversation and maybe down the line, if there's, if they see that those things are impacting them, they will ask those questions when they feel more comfortable about it. Um, But to answer your question, we start with asking about sleep, but also we hint to it if we see, if we do see um, the other signs that I mentioned with like inflamed gums and if they have tori or if we see an obvious tongue tie, we inform them, hey, did you know you have a tongue tie? And nine out of 10, they're like, no, I've never, no one's ever told me that. And depending on their level of interest, then we go deeper into the conversation. Uh, we always uh, recommend a full functional evaluation um, so that just because they've been like that their whole life, they don't really know how they're being affected. So we work with different therapists, my functional therapist. Uh, Lacey Cooper is obviously a my functional therapist, but there are uh, other amazing my functional therapists in this state and out of this state that we refer to and recommend a full functional evaluation so that the patient, it increases the patient's awareness also to how a tongue tie could be affecting them. Yeah. Sometimes they're really interested, sometimes they're not. So we kind nah. of- you know, we we start the conversation. If they're interested, we just feed them whatever they want. To, they yeah. want. But if it's not, we try, tread lightly.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I think sometimes we as clinicians and professionals can get a little overwhelmed when we learn something new and we think, Oh my gosh, how do I talk to somebody about this? You know, we, and especially as hygienists, we get stuck in the rut of like, I have an hour with this patient. I don't have time, you know, to have all these conversations, but I have found because this year is markedly a big year for me to learn more and more about airway. And so I'm one of those people, when I learn something, I can't be quiet about it. So I have started talking more to my patients about it. And Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. How many patients, when you ask, Hey, do you have any difficulty breathing through your nose? Like so many patients are saying, oh yeah, I can't do that. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what? And it's something I've been seeing them for years and we haven't discussed. Mm -hmm. I actually just had a patient last week. I actually gave her your information because we started looking and I've been treating her for perio for years, very successfully. She comes to me diligently because we've gotten her in a good stable place. But this time I looked at her mouth and we update our kind of comprehensive exam every three years and we just taken a panorex and so I was looking at all of the different things and I had her open raise her tongue up and I was like oh she can't go very high she's got a tongue tie and then I really started looking at the formation of her mouth and she has a very narrow long jaw. And, and so we started talking about you know I was like wow I've never really noticed this for you I'm learning more and more and then we started talking she said you know, my son, I have three boys. One of my sons has a tone tie and we've been struggling with speech. Like we've been to a couple of speech therapists and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have to go to Dr. Jafari <laughs> um, because this is, you know, you could really set him on a course to really help better his improvement and development as he's growing yeah. up. And she said, well, you know, what about me? Should I consider? I'm like, yeah, I want you to talk to her too, because there's some things that we could, you know, help. So like you said, it's just kind of talking about what we see, and if the patient, you know, starts to get engaged and ask questions, you know, and we can't get scared, if we don't know all the answers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we're hesitant to talk about things because we don't know what the end game is going to look like. But sometimes it's just, you know, putting some things out there, let them get curious, and it's okay to say, "Hey, I don't know that answer, but let's find it together." I know somebody who Let me get you connected. So. I think that's a really important point to make as we're talking about all this. Um, how do tongue ties play a role in airway management and normal function and development? So let's start, you know, those infant stages. Like why do tongue ties kind of set us up for long-term issues?
1: I love that. Okay, so um, that's a great question because it, it, we need to be looking at this in infancy, right? So a baby is born, um, need to be looking to see where their tongue is resting in their mouth. And, uh, and if, and they need to have a full evaluation of their tongue, tongue to make sure it's, it's, it's elevating um, to where it's supposed to be elevating, it's functioning properly. It's able, if it has the range of motion that it needs because the function of the tongue is so vital, or the the tongue itself is so vital in growth and development. Um, And the way it's, um, there's there's a lot about the tongue and its role in growth and development um, that most of us don't know about. So most people don't know that the tongue is supposed to be resting in the roof of your mouth. So the natural resting position of the tongue is the roof of the mouth. Um, An interesting fact about the tongue. um, So if you think of any muscle in the body, any other muscle in the body, there is a place where it starts and there is a place where it inserts. So there's the origination of the muscle and insertion of the muscle. The tongue is the only muscle in the body has a place where it starts, it has an origination, but it doesn't have any insertion point. So it's just this muscle, out, <laughs> you know, it just, uh, just the muscle out in, and uh, in, in our mouth. Uh, now the theory is that the resting position or the insert, insertion position of the tongue is the roof of the mouth. And we can see that in infants, even if they're tongue tied, they're usually born with a, 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 a high resting tongue position. Um, because of um, the tongue goes up, but then it falls down. If you close it, it goes up and then it falls down because the palate is still not, um, it still allows for the tongue to rest up. There are no teeth the tongue can go up and, and kind of fit up there. But if the front, if there's a tight front, end, it's gonna pull the tongue down. Now, with the upper jaw, so um, the upper jaw is made of cancellous bone, which is um, the same bone as our cranium. So this the lower jaw is different, but everything above So the the maxilla, the um, sockets of the eye, the cranium, it's all cancellous bone. And the way cancellous bone grows is by um, pressure, mild pressure. So if you think about the head, the brain, the mushy brain from the inside, as it grows, it puts pressure on the cranium and your cranium grows the size of your brain. So you never have like a big brain, a big cranium with a little brain. So if the brain stays small, the cranium also stays small. With the upper jaw being the same bone as the cranium, um, the tongue resting against the roof of the mouth and with swallowing properly, meaning we, push our tongue up against the roof of the mouth in a wave-like motion. We put and we swallow between 1,800 to 2,100 times a day. <laughs> We're putting pressure on the roof of the mouth and that helps grow the upper jaw as we grow. Yes. We grow really fast at the beginning. So the first two years of life our cranium grows 50% of its full you know adult size. And by age four that's around 75%. So in the first four years of life we grow a lot and that tongue needs to be resting in those early years needs to be resting and pushing up against the roof of the mouth to help that upper jaw grow wide and um, and, 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 and come forward with, a, a properly developed upper jaw should be a perfect reflection of the tongue. So with the tongue resting up, the, the teeth should be all around, the palate should be flat and wide. With the palate being wide and flat, and if you think about going through the roof of the mouth, you end up in the floor of the nose, in the in the nose, right? So the the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So if you think of a triangle in the middle of your face, that's the maxilla. And as the lower, as the upper jaw grows, the floor of the nose also grows, which allows for more real state to be able to breathe easier through the nose. You also get better development of the zygoma and the cheekbones. So you get better looking face (laughs) uh, with better cheekbones. We get larger sinuses that drain well so we don't have um, we don't go through life with clogged sinuses and all these sinus issues. Um, The border of the eye socket is also part of that maxillary bone and they're currently doing research on myopia or (laughs) nearsightedness and underdevelopment of the upper jaw, because if that bone part doesn't grow, then the shape of the eye is different. So there's so many things that could be affected by underdevelopment of the upper jaw. It's not just aesthetics. And obviously, you know, aesthetics is a huge part of that. We all want that wide, beautiful smile with no crowding. And if the jaw grows to its proper place, Teeth come in all around the tongue and you have this perfectly beautiful U-shaped arch. With the tongue resting up where it needs to, it also helps position the lower jaw where it needs to go. So the only communication that the upper jaw and the lower jaw have is the position of the tongue because nowhere else is the lower jaw and upper jaw connected. The lower jaw is connected to your head. (laughs) and your upper jaw is, 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 is in front. So they don't have a place where they're connected, they're just connected through muscle and, uh, and tendons. Yes. The tongue resting up, the lower jaw can kind of hang off of the tongue and the weight of the, the lower jaw is supported by the tongue. So the muscles of the TMJ um, can relax so you don't fatigue those muscles. But also that relationship is a more normal relationship with a perfect class one. If the tongue is resting low in the mouth the, and the jaw falls op- back, it tends to rotate in the socket and the upper jaw tends to fall down. So we get a longer um, longer face with a retruded lower jaw. So, I mean, this is just like, a small piece of it all there's so many ways that the tongue can um impact growth and development but that's usually this is usually the explanation i give parents is yeah. that we if we can get the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth and we need to figure out like if it's not resting what not resting in the roof of the mouth why is that Sometimes it's tongue ties. It's estimated to be about 10%, but it's not always tongue ties. So we need to look at, you know, tongue tie is not the only thing that could be this. Um, There's also a lot of like habit, like you said, most patients can't breathe through the nose. If you can't breathe through your nose, you will not have a high resting tongue position, right? Your tongue has to drop down for you to be able to breathe through your nose. Because you need to, we need to breathe. <laughs> that trump's everything, right? Like yes. breathing yep. will, will trump everything. So if your nose is not patent and you can't breathe properly, you will have improper development. Yes. So.
0: And I'm thinking too, as you're talking about this and you're talking about. Yes, I don't think that I knew that, you know, the, the whole top of the skull, you know, maxilla, all of that is the same type of bone and grows under pressure. It, it leads me to think, and I'm sure this is true, that if we have a child that has an airway issue or a tongue-tie issue and isn't getting that proper stimulation, tongue's not in the right position, then likely they, their brain will not grow as large either. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about that from the oxygen standpoint. Like if they're not breathing and getting the proper oxygen, the brain doesn't continue to grow properly. They're going to have smaller heads, smaller airways, and it's kind of a vicious cycle.
1: So there's definitely research showing um, uh, mouth breathing and snoring being um, causing a reduction in IQ in children. There's definitely research showing that. so that there's definitely a connection there yes. with breathing and and iq now i don't know of the size of the brain i don't yeah. know like seen research on that um but um um but uh, i i wouldn't be surprised if there was yeah. a connection there for sure yeah
0: i've read the dental diet and you know he mm-hmm. different sizes of the skulls now versus you know millennium. yes and how different, you know, when you look at Paleolithic skulls, you know, they were big, they were broad, there were big jaws, there were flying teeth, they had all 32 teeth with no decay, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing yes. um, how things have transitioned over the years. That's and another thing that I was thinking from a developmental standpoint, and I know this is probably a big conversation that you have, is obviously if our babies and our infants have tongue ties, the nursing aspect mm-hmm struggle and then getting proper nutrition if they're not able to nurse well.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So most of the patients that I see for uh, most of the infants I see are struggling with, with feeding, their feeding struggles. Well, some, so most practitioners look at or, or recommend treating a tank tie if a patient is not thriving, meaning that if an infant is not gaining weight, it seems like there's a lot of com- um, concentration around weight gain with infants okay. and providers, which is a super important part, obviously. But there's also so many other things that go into nursing and like infant, um, infants being happy, you know, like I see so many yes. infants that are gaining a lot of weight but the mo- mother is, uh, the mom is struggling with nipple damage and nipple pain, you know? Uh, baby is like um, colicky and is just like miserable all the time. But as long as they're gaining weight, you know, it seems like nothing else matters. And I don't think that's right. Correct. As we see the changes after a tongue tie release and with proper functional, uh, uh, fun- functional training of the infant, because even infants compensate, obviously. Um, but if we can manage those compensations and have the, the infant using more of their natural reflexes to nurse without compensation, we see improvement in, 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 in breastfeeding, um, but also with congestion, with sleep, um, there's so much more that goes into it um, that I've even had a lot of patients um, come to me for their second, you know, or second or third babies, uh, where they chose not to release their first child. you know, They decided that they were gonna wait and see because baby was gaining weight and they were doing well with the bottle or you know, um, whatever. But then later on, they were having difficulty transitioning to solid because they didn't know proper swallow. Um, They were having issues with speech because the tongue didn't have the proper function. So this time around, they want to be more proactive because they know that there could be other things that could be impacted with a tongue tie.
0: Um,
1: And what I tell parents is like, I, I always try to treat based on current symptoms. So if you're struggling currently, I don't want to say, you know, if you do this tongue tie release, you'll never have speech issues, or you will definitely have speech issues, because that's not true. But if an infant is not able to properly feed, or if they are, if they have an open mouth posture, because they have a severe lip tie and their lip is not able to reach down or their tongue is tied and the tongue keeps falling to the floor of the mouth. We know for a fact that there will be growth and developmental issues down the line. Right.
0: Right.
1: So that's what we try to focus on. Again, most parents have, because I see patients sometimes six months post-op, infants six months post-op, and they are thriving they're doing really well and they were having like a lot of difficulty from the from the start so we know it helps but also it's a choice that a parent needs to make
0: oh, absolutely absolutely
1: so and we also have to and it is surgery so we have to like outweigh um you know the the benefits versus the risks yeah. and all of that and make the best decision at the time yeah so, well- is not having any issues and they're having great function, they're gaining weight, but there's a tongue tie, you know, like, do we do it? Or do we not do it? You know?
0: Right. Well, that leads me to my next question of what does that procedure actually look like? What does a tongue tie release? How do you, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So there are um, a lot of different ways to, to release the tongue tie. There are two major, one major, uh, procedures um, the most commonly uh, done procedure for tankile release is a phrenectomy or a phrenotomy, which is re- removing the restrictive tissue and leaving an open wound um, and through um, wound management, uh, meaning that they the patient has to do stretches or uh, the parents have to do stretches on the wound site prevent things from sticking back together. Phrenotomy is the procedure of choice for infants, Um, especially when done with um, the proper tool. I mean, the most important thing obviously is the skill of the provider. Yes. The tool does make a huge difference as well. (laughs) We use a CO2 laser and I can't imagine doing this without without this laser (laughs) because it's, It's quick, it's efficient. It's very safe. It only cuts a few cell layers deep. um, And it also leaves a clean field of view for me. So like there's usually very little bleeding. So I can evaluate what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Um, And then from there, we rely on the parents to do stretches to prevent things from reattaching. The other type of tongue tie release, which I, I use for, inf- for children and adults is called a functional frenuloplasty, And this is a method um, uh, developed um, by Dr. Sagi from the Breathe Institute. Um, um, and it's a very thorough release of all the structures that could be affecting tongue function. The way the procedure is done, the difference is that as we go through the procedure, we are looking, we're asking for different uh, um, uh, movements from the patients. So the patient's not sleep, they're functioning with their tongue. They are obviously numb, so they don't feel anything, but we are evaluating their function as we release. So we, we stop, we ask them to You know, hold their tongue to the roof of the mouth, and we see: are are they? Do we get improvement? Do we get the improvements that we need? And once we get there, once we have the improvement that we need, we place stitches to close the wound site. And placing the stitches will: um, what we're hoping to get is um, is primary intention healing, which is the two parts of the wound site coming together. So there's less scar tissue uh, development and it's been shown to have better outcomes from, uh, from healing. But even with that type of, um, uh, treatment, even with the stitches, patient will still need to work on, uh, massaging, um, the, the scar tissue just to make sure, just like with any other surgery, just to make sure they don't build, um, extra scar tissue in the area. So, um, the, The franuloplasty we use on children and adults, as soon as they can sit for a procedure, it's about a 30-minute procedure for kids. Um, So they need to be able to sit for that procedure to be able to do that.
0: Is that also you're still using the CO2 laser for that? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Still using the laser to just place stitches at the end.
0: Got it. So obviously post-operatively, you know, there's going to be some massage and things like that, um, stretching and that sort of thing. But from a a recovery time standpoint, what does that look like typically? What do you recommend, you know, soft food, diet, how long, you know, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so patients will be on a softer food diet for three to five days. Okay. Um, The majority of my patients take pain medications the first and second day. And the first day, it's like an alternating ibuprofen, Tylenol uh, situation. Second day is like ibuprofen. Third day, it's just if they, if they need it. Most patients only take pain medication the first two days. Um, the reason why we want soft, obviously, the less the tongue has to work uh, initially, um, the less sore it will be. So the softer diet will help with that. Um, it will also help keep the stitches in as long as possible. The tongue moves a lot. So stitches come out if you're using it a lot. So yeah. I want the patient to kind of like rest and um, and not do a lot of um, talking or sticking their tongue out and or functioning with their tongue. Just want them to kind of uh, try to rest it against the roof of the mouth and be more gentle with it. Um, once so the first week, we they're just basically healing from the procedure. And then after that, after that week, they start doing the stretches and the massaging to make sure that they're developing this long new frenum that's gonna develop underneath the tongue.
0: Nice. So I, I feel like, um, especially for either older children or adult patients who've been functioning the same way for a long time, Um, When you do a tongue release, obviously now there's going to be a new learning curve, right? Because we're trying to correct habits, you know, create a proper swallow and proper positioning and breathing. So would you say most of your patients that have tongue release end up needing semi myofunctional therapy as well to kind of retrain those habits?
1: Absolutely. It's an integral part of a functional perinealoplasty. It's all about function. Um, Even with infants, I require therapy, um, meaning that I want someone to be, I do a quick assessment of their reflexes and tongue function, but if they're not functioning properly before a tongue tie release, I'm not, uh, I don't jump into a tongue tie release just because cutting tissue will not fix function. So it's all in the muscle and the muscle memory. And the reason why we do myofunctional therapy is to help to initiate the brain to send different signals to different parts of those muscles for those more proper functions. So when we do the release, there's better outcomes and there's um, we see better improvements of the symptoms we were having. Yes. The way I explained this to, patients and the reason why we require my functional therapy is if you were to imagine if you had if you were like I don't know I usually use their age if you were like 18 years old or if you were like 30 years old and all your life you had shoes with your shoelaces tied you could still walk you would still probably learn be very efficient at walking with small strides but That's the only way you know how to walk. Now, if you were 30 years old and somebody came up to you and you said, oh my gosh, did you know your shoelaces have been tied all your life? You're like, what? No, I didn't know that. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, here, let me open those shoelaces. You're not gonna go to your normal walking. You're not gonna take those deep, big strides. You're still gonna walk the same way unless someone were to retrain you or retrain those muscles that have not been used in so long to do those th- that function. The same thing goes with the tongue. It's a muscle. You've been compensating all your life for this restrictive tissue that you have underneath your tongue. And if you don't work on those the function, if, you, if you're not changing or working on uh, retraining that function, before a release, the release itself will not fix the function. Right. The release itself will only give you more range of motion to be able to function better. So we do my functional therapy to a point where we've made a lot of improvements, but now we've kind of hit a ceiling, like we, we're not improving past this point. And that's when we do the tongue tie release. So we have we can make a jump. We can make that uh, improvement.
0: Yeah, that's one of thing. Time.
1: But one thing that I uh, want to bring up here, which uh, um, is a really important part of this whole this whole um, treatment, um, we're not looking only at the tongue tie. We're not looking only at function. We also have to address. Um, the space issue. So a tongue tie could be the underlying cause of an underdeveloped upper jaw or underdeveloped mouth. But whenever in time, wherever, whenever the time is that we catch that tongue tie, it could have made changes to that development that may need to be addressed before you do the tongue tie release. So if you're looking at, so we look at tongue tie, tongue tone, and tongue space. So they're like the the triplets that we look for. Because if you have, the tongue tie has caused underdevelopment of the upper jaw, you may not have the space for the tongue to be released into. So now you have a small mouth. And when we do a release, there's nowhere for your tongue to go. So- we have to kind of like work backwards. Wow. You have to first develop the jaws so you have a place for the tongue to go to, then work on the function, then release the tie.
0: <laughs> so wow, that makes sense.
1: The tie, the function is there, and the space is there for the tongue to go up. If not, If there's if you've released the tongue, if you've worked, you tried your best to work on function. It is very difficult when you have a small mouth for your tongue to rest in the roof of the mouth. It's like almost impossible in some cases. If you've even done the myofunctional therapy and the tongue tie release, your tongue will still rest low because it can't fit in your upper jaw. Right. Yeah. So that's an important thing to also consider. Is not just looking at the tongue tie. Oh, there's a tongue tie. Let's do my, you know, my functional therapy or let's do a tongue tie release. We have to address the size issue as well. And that sometimes it's, you know, the more complicated of all of them right. uh, kids because kids are, you know, super flexible and we can, you know, create all the room you want, but for adults, then it get, depending on their, um, level of underdevelopment or if, they had teeth removed to get a better smile, um, it's more difficult because now they have a very small yeah. mouth um, and we have to figure out how to get this big, no, not the big tongue, a normal size tongue fit in small upper or small mouth.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I would, I guess the tone part, because I haven't ever thought about that before, but the tone part comes, I mean, I guess if you, haven't been able to move it much you know you've got to have low tone so yes yeah huh this is fascinating yeah it is (laughs) you're right this is a
1: giant rabbit hole
0: (laughs) love for you to kind of tell just a few stories of patients where you've seen some really marked life change for them share would you share just a few you
1: know yeah i would love to those are the fun those are the fun ones yes well, with infants, um, obviously those changes are like they're at the one-week visit, right? So at the one-week one, one week visit, parents come in or the mom comes in and they're like, you know, I've been able to nurse so much easier. Baby's like a completely different baby. They're like calm and they don't need to be sued the whole time. So those stories are always like, you know, you just feel like, okay, you just put them through this like stressful thing a week ago, right? because <laughs> you know, it is very stressful, when you know, treating an infant. Um, and, but it's very rewarding seeing them um, have those improvements. I've definitely had several patients refer to it for their infants as life-changing. It's been life-changing to their whole life, not just the baby's life, but just them being able to sleep, Parents being able to sleep better, baby being able to sleep better, being able to feed their baby better. Um, so that's um, um, that's definitely like with the infants that we see like more quick changes with uh, with kids and adults. Um, there's those usually take a little bit longer because the compensations have been there for longer. The procedure is 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 more involved. So there's more of a recovery period. <laughs> but uh, what we see consistently is better postures. So more, you know, less forward neck postures. We see a lot of release of neck and shoulder tension. Um, but uh, the most interesting ones are patients that didn't realize they had these issues. So we have like a questionnaire where they, fill out like what kind of issues that they're having before a release. And then two weeks later we have them do it again. And we see things that they hadn't marked, like they they mark improvements that they hadn't marked as issues before. (laughs) And they're like, well, we never, I never knew it was supposed to be a different way. So those are always really cool. Um, I did have a patient that had um, woken up with a headache um, every single day in their li- adult life, and they were like in their um, uh, late thirties. Ever since uh, this patient was eighteen, they had woken up with a headache every single morning, <laughs> and that stopped the night that we did the time tie release. Wow, that one was a really cool one, um, and he wouldn't stop talking about it. The, uh, the there was another patient. Where uh, she um, she was also suffering from headaches, and that was the reason why she did the release was to help uh, alleviate alleviate that. But um, she was a professional oboe player, um, and um, she and she taught oboe at a very um, um, reputable um, school, and she. Um, even recorded herself before and after um and there was a huge difference in her in her playing and she oh, wow. was so thrilled by that cuz she's you know she's a professional player, player and she was like I could never do double tongue and I don't even know like I'm not even <laughs> I was like well that's great you know so so now she's like all her students she's like looking if a patient if a if one of her students is struggling getting a sound correct and or um, you know uh she's she's checking their tongue ties that's awesome <laughs> so, yeah it's really interesting um some of the changes i had uh i had a patient who um felt um immediately after the release they felt like they were walking on clouds because they had so much release of their tension in their hips. I mean, we've had changes to toe position, like patients that have their toes like pointing inward. So there's just like so many different things um, that you would not not necessarily relate to a tongue tie uh, that we've seen changes in. And that's all because of that, um, the deep frontal line, which is a single uh, piece of fascial tissue that's connected from your tongue to the tip of your toes. So uh, you can have a lot of different things happening to the body when you do a release uh, on the most top portion of that, uh, of that fascia line. So it's, it's, those are the cool stories. Yeah.
0: What have you seen? And this will be the last question I ask you, because I don't want to take all your time, but, and I know this would not be strictly just the tongue release because this is more about creating earway, but what have you seen anecdotally, anecdotally for kids that typically have some ADD or ADHD kind of diagnosis?
1: Yeah, so with kids, we see a lot of grinding as well, um, a lot of sleep issues, um, breathing. And um, so with the tongue tie release, that's kind of like the last thing that we, we do with kids. With kids, I always tend to grow and develop first we do my functional therapy. So we see a lot of improvements along the way. And the tongue tie release is kind of like the, um, the, the last thing, the little cherry on top. Uh, but um, there's definitely changes to their level of concentration during the day once they begin fully nose breathing at night. So um, that can be after a tankai release. It can be after um, expansion um, uh, orthodontics to be able to like have more space. Um, so um, the, and obviously parents being able to sleep through the night because their child is not climbing to the, in their bed <laughs> or waking up yes. times a night. We've um, had issues with like, Kids that were bedwetting into, you know, they're uh, later like five, six, seven, eight-year-olds that are still bedwetting every night. That were um, able to stop, but all of those are a combination therapy, yes. like yes. You know, addressing all the different right. aspects of it. Yeah. But I've had a couple of cases where we saw huge changes in their body posture um, with. Uh, we had a couple of kids that had slanted necks, or um, I had, uh, and I get those from uh, PTs with babies that had torticollis as an infant, and they still, like, they work with therapists, and they did all the things, and things are corrected, but they still have a change or a, a slant in their spine, and those get corrected after tang tongue release, and those are really cool to see.
0: Yeah, I bet. Wow, what a cool way to really impact people's lives. You know, we get we have such privilege in dentistry to so true. change lives. And it's, you know, I think that gets lost on us sometimes. We kind of forget that. So I am super grateful for this conversation. Um, for those of our listeners that are hearing this and thinking, gosh, I kind of want to know more. I want to learn more about this. I want to see the bigger picture here. Where do you recommend they turn for more education and
1: training? Um, so my highest recommendation would be the Breathe Institute, uh, the Dr. Uh, Suruzagi and the Breathe Institute. They have a lot of different courses geared towards hygienists and, um, and dentists as well. Uh, but uh, uh, they are at the forefront of research when it comes to tongue ties and airway as a whole. Um, Dr. Zagi has a a five-day course um, that uh, he covers all things airway and it's a very in-depth deep dive into um, into airway but they also have like other like small courses. I think that would be a really great place to start uh, and uh, have like the most recent um, recent information when it comes to, uh, the research of it all.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise. This has been really engaging and exciting. And hopefully, you know, our listeners are kind of hearing something maybe new and different, you know, new ways to look at and help our patients. Um, so I want to thank you for sharing all of that with us tonight or today. Um,
1: and you know is there
0: any last words you want to leave us with
1: no I just wanted to say that it's been a pleasure thank you for having me um um, I I enjoyed the conversation obviously these always like go long because I know
0: (laughs) you're good
1: good. (laughs) passionate about uh about it but yeah so I really appreciate it and um and I've really enjoyed the conversation thank you
0: Yeah, absolutely, and to all of you listeners, if you, you know, feel like you have some questions that you need answered or, you know, you need more info, I always say come find us on our Mighty Network. It's a uh, free app you download on your phone, search Bulletproof Hygiene, and come join the community. I know there's several of you out there that know this stuff really well. Chime in and help those of us who are still learning out. That is what community is all about. Everybody have a great week, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.